Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBT WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT Radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to our program known as Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat here on 960 AM. WSBT, maybe you're listening to us somewhere outside the South Bend area. We welcome you in on 960 AM WSBT or WSBTradio.com. We've got the camera rolling in studio for a live feed on the Twitch app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. We've got two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming your way tonight. Seven o'clock tonight, we have Caveman Corner, an inside look at Mishawaka High School Athletics. Coming up over the next couple of hours, we've got some Notre Dame football news from over the weekend. The Irish lose an assistant coach, but add a player for the class of 2025. You'll hear from the new place kicker for the Fighting Irish, Mitch Jeter. We'll talk about Super Bowl 58 in a couple of different ways as we had maybe not the most well-played Super Bowl, but there was plenty of drama going on in the fourth quarter and into overtime of Super Bowl 58 last night. If you're out and about, hopefully you tuned in. We have the game for you. Here on WSBT Radio, the Niners have to be kicking themselves. I mean, they had the championship in their hands, mistakes, and they let Kansas City hang around. And when you let the best quarterback on the planet to stay in the game, I think we all knew what was going to happen. And sure enough, Kansas City goes back to back. Also, we have the results of our Twitter question of the day from Friday and a brand new question today, which you can check out right now on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. Of these college football programs, and there are four, 
which one will take the biggest step back from where they ended 2023 and now looking ahead to 2024. I'll let you look at the teams online right now again at 960 Sportsbeat. Place your vote, and we'll give you the complete question and the answer later on this hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'll tell you, Michigan was one of the four teams that you can choose from on today's Twitter X question of the day. Six o'clock hour, the top five moments of the weekend. We will take a look at what happened in high school boys basketball over the last few days. And we've got our sports wagering segment, and it's been a struggle in February. After a very profitable January, we're heading in the wrong direction in February as Friday's six-pack of picks only went two and four. We've got four picks tonight. We've got a college basketball, two NBA and NHL. We'll get to those at the end of the program right before Caveman Corner here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's start our hat trick of opening topics. Three topics to get the program rolling here on WSBT Radio. We start with the Notre Dame football team losing an assistant coach. Notre Dame safeties coach Chris O'Leary is leaving the Fighting Irish to go to the National Football League and to join Jim Harbaugh's staff out in Los Angeles with the Chargers. So O'Leary, who was pursued by the NFL last year, decided to stay in South Bend and be a part of Marcus Freeman's coaching staff once again. This time around, apparently he felt like this was the time to make the move to the next level. And O'Leary is joining the new defensive coordinator out in L.A., Jesse Minter. Now, they have a relationship, Minter and O'Leary coached together at Georgia State. Inside IndieSports.com, that's Eric Hansen's website. Eric, back with me on Wednesday and Thursday this week. They report that Notre Dame offered, you know, an increase in pay, but O'Leary wanted to make the move to the NFL at this stage of his career. So it appears cornerbacks coach Mike Mickens, who is also the defensive game the defensive pass game coordinator. He might be coaching both safeties and cornerbacks this year. And InsideIndieSports.com is reporting that grad assistant Max Bulla, who helped coach the linebackers last season, he'll get the full-time gig this year. But Chris O'Leary leaving the program. He arrived in South Bend in 2018, known as a really good developer of talent. I never like to give just the position coach credit for a player taking his game to another level. They deserve most of the credit, but the defensive coordinator also is a factor here as well. But you look at the rise of Xavier Watts at the safety position from a wide receiver going to the other side of the football, and what happens? He turns out to be a Nagurski Award winner after this 2023 campaign. From what I was told... He was a guy that was getting a lot better in the recruiting game, but known as a developer of talent. And now he's going to the National Football League. So Chris O'Leary is leaving the Irish coaching staff for Jim Harbaugh's coaching staff in the NFL with the Los Angeles Chargers. And O'Leary will be teamed up once again with the Loey Gilman, the old Irish safety out there in Los Angeles. Unless he's a free agent, I honestly haven't looked, but I know Aloe had 
a big role in that Chargers defense in 2023. The Irish also added a member to their football program. Now, he has not signed, but hopefully that will occur in about nine months or so. But the Irish have picked up the services of Elijah Burris, a three-star wide receiver in the class of 2025. If you're a football fan, that Burris name is very familiar. His dad, Plaxico, played for Michigan State, went to the NFL, had a great career with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Giants, Super Bowl-winning wide receiver. Now his son has decided to play his college football at the University of Notre Dame. Mike Singer is the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He joins me every Tuesday to talk recruiting. He'll be off this week. Kyle Kelly's going to fill in. But Mike spent some time with Irish fans on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Just go to Blue and Gold Illustrated on YouTube, and you can find all of his video reports. And this is Mike over the weekend offering some details on Elijah Burris, the newest member of Notre Dame's class of 2025. I really do love his film. think he looks outstanding. Um, you know, catching the ball here, you know, from five yards out, uh, putting a move on, taking it the distance. Uh, Burris is currently an unranked prospect, but hauled in 29 passes for 439 yards and five touchdowns during his junior season. Back in October, Burris added an offer from Duke, which was his first scholarship offer. Then he didn't see any offers come until January. Cincinnati and East Carolina offered him January 9th. A couple days later, Notre Dame entered the mix with the big scholarship. And then Toledo, UMass, James Madison, Temple, Marshall, and Buffalo have followed up with offers since. So Notre Dame, really strong evaluation here from Mike Brown and that coaching staff. I really think if this is a player who stretches recruitment out into the spring during that evaluation period when coaches can hit the road from mid-April to the end of May. More schools looking at Elijah Burris. I think his process would have really taken off again when they're able to see him in person. Uh, but, hey, that's to Notre Dame's gain that he went ahead and committed now. Again, got the offer on uh, January 11th, visited January 20th for Junior Day, and then today announcing his commitment to Notre Dame. Um, so, yeah, a really nice commitment here for the Fighting Irish. Got this NFL legacy. The tape is outstanding. This play that you guys are watching, um, that's against Bergen Catholic. You know, Notre Dame signed Steve Angeli from that school. Some really strong ball in New Jersey. Coached well. Good size. I mean, Notre Dame could definitely do a lot worse at, at the receiver position. I so this is just another kind of NFL legacy Picking the Fighting Irish, we've got an Urlacher, of course, on this fall's football team, Kennedy, the son of Brian. You've got Ryan Clark's son, the ESPN analyst and former Steeler safety. His son's going to play for the Fighting Irish, a grad transfer from Arizona State. There's just a lot of familiar last names that are lining up to play for Marcus Freeman and this Fighting Irish football team. But this time around, it's Plaxico Burris's son, Elijah. I actually really like this pickup for Notre Dame. Do not be surprised if this is someone who is going. It's a, a like a rankings riser as the process goes on. Elijah Burris, Mike, 
interactions with this young man, getting to know him a little bit, uh, you know, interviews, watching the film, talking to different people about Elijah Burris. I think this is actually a sneaky, really nice pickup for Notre Dame. First receiver commit of the class. And then, you know, you're looking at Notre Dame to continue to go after a handful of guys like, you know, at the top of the board, you know, like Jamie French of the world. Um, you know, can they get someone like Lex Cyrus from Pennsylvania? Um, you know, Derek Meadows from Las Vegas. Notre Dame looks to be the favorite for. I mentioned Jerome Bettis from Atlanta Woodyard Academy. Um, you know, the, again, the son of Jerome Bettis Sr. Um, and, uh, you know, that that that's just to name a few. you got Chicago land receiver Talon Taylor. So Notre Dame, I mean, look at that route running by Elijah Burris. He, he I'm telling you guys, um, he looks really good on me. All right, so that's Mike Singer. You can... Hear his entire analysis on Elijah Burris by going to YouTube.com and search Blue and Gold Illustrated, and you'll find Mike Singer's commentary on the latest member of the class of 2025, three-star wide receiver Elijah Burris. Don't let the three-star alarm you. This is very early on in the 25 evaluation process. And as the staff at, in this case, on three takes further looks at him, sees him maybe in camps or more on film, they'll adjust. We see it all the time. So don't let the three-star label scare you. Interesting talent added by Mike Brown and the Fighting Irish offensive coaching staff. So welcome Elijah Burris to the class of 2025, the number one class in the country Right now, still early in the process, but the Irish at the top of the heap. All right, 519 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight. I want to give you the opportunity to hear from a guy who's going to play a big role on what you hope is going to be a playoff squad for the Fighting Irish in 2024. You know, somewhere along the way, there's going to be a big kick that's going to have to be nailed. Kind of like Moody and Butker last night in the Super Bowl. Moody set the all-time record for the longest field goal in Super Bowl history. Later in the game, Butker topped that. So, field goal kickers can make a big, big difference in a massive contest. And Mitch Cheater has that responsibility with the Fighting Irish. He came over from South Carolina. 2023, Jeter went 12 of 14 on field goals, 33 of 34 on extra point tries. 2022, he was 11 of 11 on field goal tries and 42 of 44 on extra point attempts. He kicked against the Fighting Irish in a ball game, not last year, but the year before. So, Jeter, who is a senior this year, Met the media recently, and he was asked why he left the Gamecocks and wanted to jump into the transfer portal. Yeah, um, you know, credit to all those guys at South Carolina, Coach Beamer, Coach Limbo. Um, you know, those guys really helped me be successful there. Um, but, you know, I had my degree. Um, I had a degree in biological sciences there with a minor in business administration. So I, I did my time there throughout the four years. Um, you know, I felt like I gave a lot to that program and everything that I had um, and really wanted to just kind of explore my final year of college football um, elsewhere. And, you know, um, the opportunity to you know, come to Notre Dame was, you know, something that 
um, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for. Well, think about South Carolina in the SEC. Jeter had to kick in some wacky environments down there in that conference. And the last two years, how about 23 of 25 on field goal tries and 75 of 78 on extra points? Not too shabby. Here is Mitch Jeter on why he picked the Fighting Irish. Uh, I mean, once I entered the transfer portal, it was really, you know, able to see an opportunity to come in um, and compete for a national championship. That was kind of, you know, the biggest thing for me, uh, being able to come and play on a big stage um, and learn from Coach Biaggi and Coach Freeman um, from this network and from this culture and program. So the biological science major, what does he think of his brand new special teams coach? He just mentioned him, Matt Biaggi. Yeah, so I really like the fact that he was a former specialist um, in college and he's able to provide his insight of, you know, what maybe worked for him um, as he played and what has worked for other people that he's coached. Um, I obviously haven't really been through kind of like a spring practice or anything with him yet, so I haven't really learned how he coaches, but I was able to watch some of his stuff um, during bowl prep, and I really like what I saw. All right, I gave you his numbers. Very effective kicking field goals. He's missed two over the last two years. What about his range? Yeah, I think um, I think my long at South Carolina was 53, um, but yeah, I feel comfortable going back to around 60. Um, so, you know, but that's obviously depending on game situation and all that stuff, but, you know, I think that Personally, um, I can go back there on 60. Like the sound of that. That's your new place kicker, Mitch Jeter, a senior who comes to South Bend after leaving the South Carolina Gamecock program. And he knows Bryce McPherson, the punter. They go back, and that could be the guy who is holding for him once we get to the start of the 2024 campaign. By the way, saw this today. Now, I say this knowing that spring practice has not started. I don't believe for anybody yet. Maybe a couple of programs that go in February have started. I don't believe so. But whatever the case may be, the teams I'm talking about, Notre Dame and Texas A&M, have not. They're meeting in the first game in College Station August the 31st here on WSBT Radio. Our good friend Carter Carls, who used to be with the South Bend Tribune, part of this program, he covers Texas A&M. We had him on a couple of months ago. And they have gone through a ton of players leaving the program as Mike Elko has left Duke to become the head coach of Texas A&M, taking over for the fired Jimbo Fisher. They have lost a lot of players to the portal. We really don't know how good they're going to be. Well, Notre Dame has their defense pretty much intact from a great team last year. You add Riley Leonard, you hope that this offense can take a step in 2024, even though you lose Audric Estime, but the running back room is full. Now, there are some questions about the offensive line. We'll see how that goes. But my perception is that Notre Dame is right now on paper better than Texas A&M. Paper doesn't win you a football game. I know that. But in your mind, do you think Notre Dame is the favorite at Texas A&M? In my world, Yes. In fact, I was thinking today, if if I knew the odds for this game, I would say Notre Dame's favored by five and a half, six and a half points. Well, there's a reason why I'm not a bookie. There's a reason why I don't reside in Las Vegas. Because FanDuel 
has put out a couple of games already for next year, and the Notre Dame-Texas A&M game line is out. So in your mind, what do you think the line is? I'll let you think for a second, because I was shocked. I was really, really shocked. Fan duel for Notre Dame-Texas A&M, they have the Irish as the underdog. The Irish are getting a point and a half at Texas A&M. I know we're not to spring practice yet. We really don't know how good these teams are going to be. But in my world, knowing the defense the Irish have coming back, I'm going to say I would feel okay getting a point and a half right now because I would have expected Notre Dame to be the favorite, even though on the road in that first game in a wacky environment down there where the 12th man is famous. But Notre Dame getting a point and a half, I kind of feel like I'd take my chances with that, even on February the 12th. And you can get that right now on FanDuel. Notre Dame plus one and a half at Texas A&M. Very interesting. 526 is our time. We normally have Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated on Monday at 530. He is taking the day off today, and we will have him on the program next week talking Notre Dame football. So we're going to spend a little time talking about the Super Bowl yesterday. A terrific game in terms of excitement and drama. Maybe not the most well-played game, but we got an overtime game for just the second time in Super Bowl history, and it ended probably the way we all thought it would with the ball in the hands of Patrick Mahomes and winning the game. We'll have that conversation coming up here on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 532 on your home of the fighting Irish. This is Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Live streams rolling right now at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. My name is Darren Pritchett, 28 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Sports Beat tonight being brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By First State Bank, lend strength to our communities by devoting ourselves to helping local businesses grow and prosper. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Bethel University's adult and graduate studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. And by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. First and goal at the three. Lining up in the clock at 10 seconds and ticking. In the shotgun, Mahomes. Four-man front. Receiver motion. Low snap. He runs and he throws. Caught. Touchdown. It's caught. Hardman caught the ball. The Chiefs have won. The Chiefs have won. The entire bench empties. Chasing Mahomes in the end zone. 
Super Bowl in five years. The Chiefs are back-to-back Super Bowl champions. It is a dynasty. The Chiefs have won Super Bowl 58. 25-22 in overtime. Well, that's the great Kevin Harlan. He is so good at handling those big moments, that call on Westwood One. Heard right here on WSBT Radio last night. Well, as a fan of a team who resides in the AFC West with Kansas City, and they are our arch rival, it pains me to say, you better believe it, it is a dynasty in Kansas City. Four Super Bowl appearances in five years. Going 3-1, and one, only Tom Brady has stopped Patrick Mahomes from having four Super Bowl titles. But how about this? Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in all four of those Super Bowls, there is one thing that happened in all four. And it's hard to believe knowing how good Mahomes is. But the Kansas City Chiefs in all four Super Bowls have trailed by double digits at one point in all four of those games. Twice, of course, against San Francisco. Twice coming from behind and handing Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers losses. Keep in mind, at one point, San Francisco was considered by many the football franchise in the NFL. Steeler fans would disagree with you. Now, Patriot fans can say they have their say because the Steelers and the Patriots have six Super Bowl titles. The Niners have five. When they won their last Super Bowl, hammering the San Diego Chargers back in 1994, they were 5-0 in the Super Bowl. I mean, the late 80s, throughout the 80s, they were the team of that decade. And then Steve Young led the Niners to the Super Bowl championship, hammering San Diego in 1994. And now this proud franchise is right now in a rut. They've gone 30 years without a Super Bowl championship, and after winning their first five, they have now lost three in a row. And I got to admit, this is just how strange time changes storylines But as a Bronco fan, I always felt like the 49ers rubbed our nose in the Super Bowl down in New Orleans as the Niners won 55-10. And Joe Montana stayed in almost the entire game to the last couple of moments. I think that's just me being a a sour loser. (laughs) Losing three times in four years is not fun, to say the least, as a fan. But I never thought I would root for the 49ers. But with the Chiefs being our rival, Rooting for the 49ers, plus Kyle Shanahan, the son of Mike Shanahan. He held the headset mic of Mike during Super Bowl 32 when the Broncos broke through and beat the Packers in Super Bowl 32, the Elway helicopter game. And Ed McCaffrey was a wide receiver on that team. His son Christian was running around the field in 97 and 98 when Denver went back-to-back. And now both of these guys are a part of the 49ers, so I was rooting for them because of those tie-ins but I never thought I would root for the 49ers in the Super Bowl I've now done that twice in four years bizarre but the 49ers have a wonderful football team 
I think 1 through 53, the 49ers are a better football team than the Kansas City Chiefs, but we all know there are two difference makers. And I think Kyle Shanahan's a great offensive mind. I disagreed leaving the running game in the second and third quarters, but at the end of the day, the Niners have the better roster, but there's two things that separate them, and that is this. Kansas City, to me, has the best head coach of my lifetime in Andy Reid. And I know Bill Belichick won six Super Bowl titles. I think Andy Reid is the best offensive mind, and he was the guy I would take if I had to pick someone from my lifetime to coach my football team, even over Belichick. I think a lot of it has to do with Reid is kind of a likable guy. He's not obnoxious to the media. He had a great run in Philadelphia, just couldn't win the championship. They loved him there, but he didn't win, so they moved on. How about this? I'd forgotten this. The Bears and the Eagles fired their head coaches on the same day. The Bears waited 16 days after the Chiefs picked Andy Reid. The Bears, 16 days later, took Mark Tressman. You think about they could have had Andy Reid. They could have had Patrick Mahomes. All this could be happening in Chicago. I know you Bears fans know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'd forgotten that the Bears and Chiefs fired their head coaches on the same day. And 16 days after Reid was picked by KC, Mark Tressman was the choice of the Chicago Bears. My goodness, what an... What a franchise-altering 16 days for those two franchises. But in Super Bowl 58, the 49ers were the favorite. They were looking for their sixth title, but they couldn't get it done, and they can only blame themselves for coming up short in this particular game. You look at the opening drive, and Christian McCaffrey is such a wonderful running back. He is the best running back in the NFL. He never puts the ball on the ground. I mean, never, ever Ever. But on the first drive of Super Bowl 58, McCaffrey and the 49ers are going right down the field on Kansas City. White jerseys, gold pants for the Niners, breaking huddle. They started this drive at their own 25. Now they have it at the Kansas City 29. It's first and 10. Purdy's under center with a couple tight ends. Hand off McCaffrey over the right tackle. He fumbled the ball as he was hit. He crossed the 27, and the ball was jarred free. He was hit on the play. Karloftis may have jumped on the ball. They're untangling the bodies. The Chiefs pointing one way, and so are the officials. George Karloftis, the great defensive lineman from the Purdue Boilermakers, comes up with the fumble recovery, denying San Francisco points on that opening drive. Now, they still led 10-3 at halftime. They were still in great shape. The defense that had gotten hammered by their fans and the media for their performance in the first half against the Detroit Lions in the NFC Championship game. Boy, did they ever turn it around. They had Kansas City stymied. And they had put themselves in great position to win this Super Bowl. But just little things or actually big things that happened in the game that affected San Francisco. Dre Greenlaw, 9-16 to go in the second quarter running onto the field for the Niner defense after an exchange of possession, tore his Achilles, just running onto the field, took an awkward step. He had done a great job in slowing down that Kansas City passing attack. 
I think the announcers had given him some credit and Kelsey only catching one pass throughout the first half and Kansas City really took advantage of Greenlaw being gone as Kelsey had seven catches in the second half. So that's something that did not help their cause. But you think about missed opportunities in this game for San Francisco. Opening drive of the third quarter, Patrick Mahomes is intercepted and the Niners do nothing with it. Here you get the football in Kansas City territory. You've got a chance to put a lot of pressure on the defending champs, even if you get three. You stole three points from Kansas City, but the Niners couldn't get anything accomplished. They still led 10-3, but when they did not score there, that's when I told myself, I've seen this before. You let the Chiefs hang around, and you're just waiting for Patrick Mahomes to beat you. Not only did that happen, the Chiefs also got plenty of help from San Francisco. Tommy Townsend has sent the punt inside the Kansas City 25. The punt will come from our right to our left. It's a knee-high long snap, a right-footed punt. And here is the ball landing in front of Ray Ray McLeod, who gets it on a... Oh, he fumbled! He had the ball, and he fumbled it at the 17! The Chiefs have recovered! And as we found out on replay, the ball hit the ankle of a 49er player before it got to the punt returner, and Kansas City jumped on the football. Unbelievable. So, of course, the next play, touchdown pass, Mahomes to Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, and that touchdown with 2.28 to go in the third quarter gave Kansas City their first lead of the ball game, 13 to 10. You move forward to the fourth quarter. I loved what Kyle Shanahan did in this moment. It's fourth and three at the Kansas City 14 with 13 minutes to go. Very easily, you kick the field goal, you're tied at 13. But when you play Mahomes, kicking field goals is not going to win you the game. In another era of the NFL, that ball is kicked and we got a tie game. But in this new era of analytics and going for it on fourth down, Shanahan went for it. And Brock Purdy hit George Kittle from four yards out, little out pattern to Purdy's right, and got the football to the Kansas City 10-yard line. But third down and nine at the Kansas City 13-yard line, Kansas City brought a blitz. And for one occasion, the Niners made him pay Purdy to Jawan Johnson, who had thrown the touchdown pass, the wide receiver to Christian McCaffrey in the first half, caught a touchdown pass, and the Niners had the lead 16-13, but the extra point was blocked, or should I say Moody, basically kicked it with his ankle. It was a low-line drive, easily blocked, and here you go. Instead of being up four, you're only up three. Another gift given to Kansas City. So Kansas City would go down and actually kick a field goal as they had first and goal at the four. The 49er defense came up with a massive stop on in that spot. That kept the game in a really good spot for San Francisco despite all of the things that had kind of gone against them. The field goal by Butker was good. It was 16-16 with 5.46 to go in the fourth quarter. Niners started driving down the field, but with two minutes to go, third and fourth, the KC 35. Here came the blitz. No chance for Purdy. 
incomplete. Moody actually made a 53-yard field goal, 153 to go, 19-16, 49ers. How about this? Over the first 58, make that the first 57 Super Bowls, only seven 50-yard field goals had been made. We had three 50-yard field goals in this game, including both guys setting a Super Bowl record for the longest field goals ever. Butker ended up with the 57-yarder in the third quarter for Kansas City. But the door was open. And as a Bronco fan, I've seen this too many times. Are you as an NFL fan? We all knew what was going to happen. The Chiefs were at least going to kick a field goal to tie the game. A couple of timeouts, 153 on the clock. But the Niners had him in a tough spot, a third down play. But Kelsey caught a pass over the middle, 22 yards to the San Francisco 11 with 10 seconds left. The 49ers withstood the final surge and on second down with six seconds left. Butker kicked a 29-yard field goal. We were tied at 19, and we had our second overtime in Super Bowl history. A lot of people are talking about this. Why did San Francisco, winning the toss in overtime, elect to take the football? And apparently the Niners players said they were not fully prepared for overtime. They did not know the rules. I'll say this. I actually did not know the rules from one standpoint. At the end of overtime, when the clocks hit zero at the end of the first overtime, is that played like the end of the first quarter, or is this the end of a half? And as we found out later on in the first quarter, the end of overtime would be like the end of the first half. When the clock got to two minutes, there was no two-minute warning like you have in the first and third quarters. So as the Chiefs had the clock wind down the closing seconds, they would have had the chance to kind of start over in the next overtime with 15 minutes on the clock. They didn't have to score before the clocks hit zero. Well, we all know what happened. A couple of scrambles by Mahomes, including getting to the San Francisco 13-yard line, then a pass to Kelsey, first and goal at the 9 or 5 with 29 on the clock. And as you just heard, the touchdown pass from Mahomes to McCole Hardman with three seconds left on the overtime clock, sixth longest game in NFL history, Chiefs win 25-22. to And now four Super Bowl championships in the history of the Kansas City Chiefs, three coming in the last five years, and Patrick Mahomes is only 28 years old. He was the biggest cap hit for any quarterback in the NFL, so the Chiefs had less money to spend on the rest of the roster compared to anybody else when you look at the quarterback position. And they had a weak offensive line. They didn't have a number one wide receiver. They lost to Denver and the Raiders during midseason, and they were broken. But Andy Reid fixed them. And here they are on a year in which it was supposed to be I don't want to call it a rebuilding year, but a year to take down the Chiefs. They're holding the trophy. And that's Andy Reid doing Andy Reid-type things with the best quarterback in the National Football League. I am stunned the Chiefs are Super Bowl champions after watching them throughout the year. They're still a flawed team, but nobody could beat them. The Bills had them in their backyard in the divisional round. Couldn't beat them. Baltimore. Arguably the best team in the NFL had the Chiefs on their home field for the AFC Championship. Couldn't get them. And the Niners had Kansas City down double digits. Multiple missed opportunities. They let Mahomes hang around, and they couldn't get them. Everybody had their shot. 
And the Chiefs were the underdog in Buffalo, the underdog in Baltimore, and the underdog on a neutral field against the Niners. W, W, W. With a team that wasn't supposed to win the title this year. And now, winning this one, they've got a chance to do something no one's ever done. Win three consecutive championships. And you know what? It's hard to count them out because they've got number 15. And if Andy Reid comes back, which you assume he's going to with the chance to chase history, good luck in beating Kansas City in 2024. The thing is, the division, or I should say the conference, has a lot of good teams with quarterbacks who have great abilities. you got Josh Allen and the Bills, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. They'll be back at full strength next year. You've got Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, and no one can beat this team. It is remarkable, and congratulations to Indiana's own and former Notre Dame player Drew Tranquil. He's got himself a Super Bowl championship with the 49ers. And let me say this. Aaron Banks of Notre Dame was the starting left guard for the Niners throughout that game, in particular in the first half. What a wonderful job by that offensive line, creating a bubble around Brock Purdy. He had time to throw the football for most of the game, in particular in the first half. But a couple of blitzes that the Niners did not handle really hurt San Francisco's chances. And instead of scoring six or seven, they had to settle for three. And you lose when you kick field goals against Patrick Mahomes. 5.51 is our time. Man, we're done with football for a while. We have spring football. But in terms of games, and I'm not counting the spring football leagues, we got a little while to wait before we have another football game. So that was the end of our NFL season. Hope you enjoyed the NFL here on WSBT Radio throughout the 2023-24 season. 5.52 is our time. I think it's an interesting Twitter X question of the day. We'll ask you the question and ask you to vote coming up. In a couple of moments, as Budweiser's weekday sports beat rolls on, on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960, WSBT. It is 12 minutes after 6 o'clock. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thank you so much for joining me on this Monday, February the 12th of 2024. I'm on the air until 7 o'clock. Then it's Cayman Corner, an inside look at Mishawaka High School Athletics here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Fun weekend. A lot of things happening. Of course, Super Bowl 58, but a lot of interesting events happened over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we tried to capture some of those elements in this particular segment. And it is the My Five Question of the Day. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Question of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We've got some basketball, hockey, and football to get to in this week's My Five Question of the Day, which is what were the top five moments of the sports weekend? Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. 
Let's start locally with a couple of very interesting high school boys basketball conference races coming down to the wire. In the Northern Indiana Conference, South Bend Riley, arguably the best team of the area. They beat Bremen 64-50 to move to 9-1. They're in first place in the NIC with a road game against Adams on Friday. But here comes Rob Berger's Mishawaka Marion Knights. They got off to a slow start. Not anymore. They've won nine in a row. And they won the Holy War over South Bend St. Joe Friday, 54-51. The Knights keeping pace in the loss column with the Wildcats. I mentioned Riley's 9-1. Marion is 7-1. And they have three games coming up that, if there was such a thing, they would be the favorites against Jimtown at home, Elkhart at home, and at South Bend Adams. Penn got knocked up by South Bend Washington, so Penn needs a lot of help to have a chance to share the NIC crown. Then in the Northern Lakes Conference, everything played out perfectly for Mishawaka on Friday as the Cavemen got by the defending state champs in their 3-2 zone. Mishawaka over Northwood on the road, 40-32. That secured at least a tie for the NLC crown pending their game against Wawasee this Saturday. But the Cavemen can now win it outright Saturday at Wawasee because Mishawaka got a ton of help from Northridge who knocked off Concord at Northridge 46-43. So if Mishawaka wins outright NLC champions, if Mishawaka loses at Wawasee, it would be a three-way tie for the NLC crown, Mishawaka, Concord, and Northridge. The Elkhart and Mishawaka boys basketball sectionals are going to be awesome. I would say the Elkhart sectional is absolutely up for grabs. Riley's the favorite at Mishawaka, but that Elkhart sectional is going to be a whole lot of fun and probably unpredictable. Four. Number four moment of the weekend, Notre Dame Hockey's NCAA tournament at large hopes are really on thin ice. I mentioned last week, Notre Dame in the midst of playing eight straight games against teams ranked in the top 12 in the country. They split with number eight Michigan State two weekends ago. Then last weekend going to number four Wisconsin. It looked like Notre Dame was going to at least split with the Badgers because in game one on Friday, Notre Dame was up 2-0 late in the second period, playing great, had the Badgers on the ropes in front of a huge crowd at the Kohl Center. But then two punches to the chin. Wisconsin, in the final minute of the second period, scored two goals 15 seconds apart. Instead of Notre Dame being up 2-0 going to the third in great position, they take those two punches, and it's 2-2 going to the second. And then Wisconsin would score again early in the third, The Badgers scored three times in a minute 56 en route to a 4-2 victory. I mean, that feels like the old ABC wide world of sports open, the ski jumper, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. Notre Dame was absolutely on their way to picking up a massive win on the road against number four, Wisconsin. And in less than two minutes, it all slipped away. And Wisconsin won 4-2. 
Wisconsin was up 1-0 in the third in Game 2 Saturday. Landon Slaggard had a power play goal to tie it at 1, but Notre Dame was very undisciplined throughout that series. They gave up three five-minute power plays in the series. And in Game 2, the Badgers would get up 3-1. We pulled our goalie and score to make it 3-2, but the Irish fell to the Badgers on Saturday 3-2. So it looked like they might end up with three points of the weekend. They end with none. They're now eight points behind third place Minnesota. And now the Irish are down to four conference games left. Michigan has six left. And the Irish only up two on Michigan for that final spot for home ice in the Big Ten tournament. Right now it looks like Notre Dame and Michigan are a lock to play in the first round. It's just whether it's going to be at the Compton Family Ice Arena or at Yost Ice Arena. Not only does Michigan have two games in hand on the Irish and only down two points, They've got the Irish coming to their barn in next weekend's Big Ten regular season. For the Irish, that'll be their regular season finale. Notre Dame is idle the final weekend. So Michigan, you would say their advantage right now, even though they're two points behind Notre Dame, they've got the games in hand. They've got the home series against Notre Dame, but it's not over yet. But if the Irish are going to make the NCAA tournament, it just feels like they're going to have to run the table and get the at-large berth in the NCAA tournament. The Irish in the low 20s right now in the pairwise, and you need to be 13 or better to get an at-large berth into the field of 16. And right now, Irish are 500. Hockey team coming home to take on Minnesota. Friday at 7.35, Saturday at 6.05. Here both games on Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. Okay, okay, Uh, number three. All right, up next, top five moments of the weekend. How about the Notre Dame women's basketball team winning in double overtime in Tallahassee over Florida State? Notre Dame coming off the loss at Louisville, a road contest at Florida State, and they got the job done to stay in the ACC race. Sonia Citron scored seven of Notre Dame's 10 points in the second overtime. Kylie Watson, an important steal in the final seconds. And that helped finish off a 98-94 come-from-behind victory over the Seminoles. Citron hit a three-pointer to give Notre Dame a 91-90 lead and also hit a fast-break layup to tie the game at 93. Score was tied at 94 for about a minute, and then Citron drew a foul. And the free throws made by Citron made it 96-94. Hannah Hidalgo was fouled, picked up a couple of free throws. Irish win by four. Hidalgo, 27 points for the freshman. She was only 7 of 25 from the field, but hit 13 of 14 free throws. How about this for the freshman? 27 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, and 5 steals. In a non-conference game over the next couple of years against a weaker opponent because even though she is amazing at stealing the basketball against the bigger opponent, it's going to be tougher to get to double digits. But against a weaker team early in the season, Hidalgo's got a chance to have a quadruple double at some point. She's going to get the double-digit points. She's always right around the number in rebounds and assists. And if she can get to the steal double-digit number, 
I mean, she's got an outside chance to do it. Wouldn't put it past her. We're going to enjoy the next two years and a couple of months because you would imagine as a senior, she's going to be in the WNBA, but we'll worry about that a couple of years from now because she is so much fun to watch. So, besides Hidalgo, how about Anna DeWolf? And the transfer from Fordham had a season-high 24 points against Florida State. She hit six of nine three-point shots. Maddie Westbell had 19 points and 14 rebounds, a double-double for Westbell. And Sonia Citron had those free throws that were key, 18 points and eight rebounds. So the ACC standing starting a brand-new week. Your leader, the Virginia Tech Hokies. They are 11-2. Syracuse has beaten Notre Dame twice this year. The Orange are a game back at 10-3. Notre Dame's next opponent, NC State, along with Louisville, they are 9-3, each a game and a half behind Virginia Tech. And then you've got the Fighting Irish in a tie for fifth place with Duke, who they will play next week on the road. The Irish and the Blue Devils are both two and a half games behind Virginia Tech at 8-4. and four. Again, NC State at Notre Dame coming up this week. That's going to be a whole lot of fun at Purcell Pavilion. And again, the ACC, I'm assuming they planned it this way. All the top teams are all squaring off here late in the year, which is adding a lot of drama to the ACC race. Plus, I think it's really hardening these teams for March Madness, which is right around the corner, I think. Selection Sunday for the men is... It was five weeks from last Sunday or yesterday, and the women, of course, normally the next day. We are getting close to the best time of the year in college basketball. Number two. Another headline from the weekend, the Big Ten men's basketball race is over. Might as well give the Boilermakers the trophy now because the team's right behind them. Well, they're either fading or suffered a... Frustrating loss over the weekend. The Purdue Boilermakers have a two-and-a-half game lead now in the Big Ten. It's over. Can you imagine Purdue's going to lose two more games in the Big Ten? No chance. The only way that happens if Zach Eady gets hurt. If he is upright, they're not losing two more games in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is down this year, and the team's right behind them. They've handled this year. So... The race is over. The Boilermakers are going to be the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. They're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They may not be the number one overall seed. We'll see what the committee does with UConn and Purdue. Purdue actually has a better resume right now, but a decision for the committee. Boilermakers handed Indiana a 79-59 defeat Saturday night at Mackey Arena. And coupled with everything that happened earlier in the day, Purdue has a a two-and-a-half game lead in the Big Ten. Wisconsin looks broken. Remember when they were up like 16 at halftime at Nebraska? Huskers came all the way back and won in overtime. It feels like Nebraska broke Wisconsin because now the Badgers have lost four in a row. The latest defeat in Piscataway at the Rack against Rutgers when they got blown out by the Scarlet Knights, who are playing much better basketball right now. 
So Wisconsin fading, losing four in a row. They've got five losses in the Big Ten. And then you've got Illinois, who had Michigan State on the ropes at the Breslin Center numerous times. They led Michigan State by seven in three different parts of the game. But Michigan State dominated the final nine minutes of regulation. That was a desperate Tom Izzo team. Their resume right now is not great. Going into that game, some of the prognosticators had Michigan State as one of the last teams out of the field of 68. And after the Illinois game, Michigan State, as of right now, has just one quad one opportunity remaining. And it's not a fun one at Purdue. So this felt like a must-get for Michigan State. And they dominated Brad Underwood's team over the final nine minutes. Illinois couldn't even score. And defensively, they broke down. There were key turnovers by Illinois in the last two minutes. And Michigan State got her done, beating the Illini 88-80. to And that loss right there, even though I think Purdue was going to win it anyway, that sealed the deal. Give the Boilermakers the trophy now because they're up two and a half. And they're not coming back to the pack number one and finally top headline of the weekend super bowl 58 kansas city stayed patient they hung around they dodged some bullets and they beat san francisco in overtime 25 to 22 49ers fumbled the ball on their opening drive An interception to start the second half resulted in no points, even though they took over in Chiefs territory. The botched punt, where the ball hit an up man recovered by Kansas City. Unable to pick up a couple of blitzes late in the fourth quarter, and overtime led to field goals for San Francisco. And they gave Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs life, and they cashed it in, winning their third Super Bowl in five years. The game was on CBS. We had it here on WSBT Radio. Thanks to Westwood One, Kevin Harlan, Kurt Warner do a fabulous job with play-by-play and analyst work. And on CBS, you had Jim Nance and Tony Romo. When Nance does a game, it always feels like a big game. I get that with Joe Buck, Mike Tirico. Kevin Burkhart, not there yet for me, but he and Greg Olson do a pretty good job. But Romo started out so great as an analyst. He was predicting everything that was going to happen before it happened. But then he's changed his ways. And at least one time in the Super Bowl last night, he was singing as Jim Nance was throwing the telecast to break. That's a little different. And if there is an announcer 101, when there's a big moment in a game, It's a little different on radio and TV. Radio, you have to paint the picture so you talk a little more in that big moment, but eventually you lay out, let the crowd noise help the moment. TV, you can lay out quicker because we can see what's going on. So the TV and radio calls should be different, and we play back Kevin Harlan's call on radio. I mean, he talked for like a minute straight, building the moment, explaining what happened, the dynasty. It was just perfectly done. Jim Nance who's been doing this forever, called the play. And at that point, 
the analyst shouldn't say anything. The moment where the Chiefs are celebrating, they run on the field, confetti, Taylor Swift, all those things. You let the pictures tell the story. Because you're on TV. We can see what's happening. Someone should have just shut Tony Romo's mic off. Tony had a great fourth quarter and overtime. I thought he was nailing it. Some of his best work in some time. But then the final play happened, and you got to let it breathe. And I don't know if Tony got caught up in the moment, but if I'm the producer or director of this game, I'm shutting Tony's mic off until that play's over because I want the moment to breathe in case they score a touchdown. This is how it sounded on CBS. Again, this is where an analyst should just lay out, let the play-by-play guy handle it. The second quarter, that's right, because I can only feel people out there being like, What's going on? First and goal. Mahomes clings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! And this was the Andy Reid special. This was the Andy Reid special. We talked about he was saving all day. He's going to fake a motion to go across. And at that moment, he turns and goes back. Hartman, who they didn't have, right? And they go get Hartman and bring him back. And the game-winning drive of Mahomes' career, he's been waiting for. He's won Super Bowls, but he's never had it in an overtime. He is the best. He is the standard when Michael Jordan wins it again. Oh, that was tiring. (laughs) And you you even hear him yelling Super Bowl under Nance's call when the pass went into the arms of Hardman. Just let the moment breathe. That was just, it was painful. He was talking about Hardman. They got him back. Well, he was with the Jets. They got him back on the roster. He catches the game-winning touchdown. So, Tony was just going a mile a minute and just let that moment breathe. It was just perfect, just showing the pictures. And that was a tough one. That was a tough one because I'm sure Jim Nance is like, oh my gosh, (laughs) should I just pull his mic cord out? (laughs) So let the moment breathe. But he had a really good fourth quarter in overtime, but that you got to let the moment just play out on television. And Kansas City wins 25-22 in overtime. It is 632. Those are my five headlines from the weekend. We'll take a timeout. We've got Another half hour of Budweiser's weekday sports beat to come on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run! Eloy Jimenez! Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye! And maybe that's the winner! Here's Darren Pritchett. It is wonderful to see some of the sights from spring training. Major League Baseball players arriving in Florida and Arizona. The sound of the crack of the bat, the ball going into the mitt. All happening right now down in Florida and Arizona. It's always a good sign when those guys show up for spring training. Warm weather is right around the corner. But we'll probably have two or three snowstorms between now and opening day. 640 at WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you. Sports wagering segment coming up in a couple of moments. Right now we're going to spend a moment 
or two on the high school boys basketball scene. I kind of set the stage for the NIC and NLC races in our previous segment. But I have my NIC, NLC boys basketball area rankings each week. And it's been the theme for the whole season. All these teams are just kind of beating up on each other. The one team that's withstood a lot is South Bend Riley. I still think the most talented team, the most talented roster of the area squads. They are now 17-4. and four. They have won seven of eight. They took care of Bremen on the road, 64-50. And what's interesting, they've only played three games against my top eight. They're one and two. They beat Mishawaka by double digits on a neutral floor. And they lost at Northridge, and they lost at Penn. This week, they've got Culver Academy at home on Tuesday, and then the conference matchup with South Bend Adams on Friday. Riley wins that game. They clinch at least a share of the NIC crown. Concord finally lost. This great team had won 10 in a row, but they lost a barn burner at Northridge Friday, 46-43 to to fall to 15-3. and They have played five games against teams in my top eight. They have beaten Warsaw, Penn, and Northwood, lost to Mishawaka and Northridge, both of those games on the road. And they've got Clay at home on Tuesday. Penn is my third-ranked team. They won four of five, but they lost at South Bend, Washington on Friday, 53-47, pretty much knocking them out of the NIC race. So Penn has won four of five, and they sit at 13-5. and five. Going into last Friday, had Northridge number four. They are now 15-4. and four. And Northridge picked up wins at Jimtown 60-50. And the big win over Concord 46-43. Non-conference play for Northridge this week, hosting Lakeland and Columbia City. Mishawaka, my fifth-ranked team, they've got the opportunity to win the outright Northern Lakes Conference crown, and that's saying something in this highly competitive league this year. South Bend, I'm sorry, Mishawaka has won seven of their last nine. They ran into a buzzsaw Tuesday at Chesterton as Chesterton hit 11 threes, nine in the first half. They were just smoking red hot. Mishawaka couldn't keep up, lost 68-59. Kind of a sandwich game for them, knowing a massive game was coming up Friday, and they won at Northwood 40-32. For Mishawaka, a busy week. Tuesday, non-conference at Adams. Friday, senior night against Career Academy. Saturday, a chance to win the NLC crown at Wawasee. They have beaten Wawasee nine straight times. That's right. Nine times. Nine times. We've got Warsaw at number six. They're 13-5. and five. They have split their last four games. They lost to Downstate Marion by 10 at home and then beat Plymouth in the rivalry conference game 63-56. to 56. They've got Fort Wayne Northrop tomorrow night at Hammond Morton on Saturday. You've got Marion. They won nine in a row. Here they come. They are now 13-9. and nine. Make that 13-8. and eight on the season, and they beat St. Joe Friday 54-51. They host Jimtown Friday, and Northwoods lost 4 of 7. They're 12-7 and seven after losing to Mishawaka. They played Lakeland on Saturday. They're at Fort Wayne Blackhawk on Friday. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some sports wagering talk to get to as we wrap up Super Bowl 58 by going through the picks I had 
on Friday. Not so good. Not so good to say the least. That's coming up in a couple of moments. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 